In this episode of Paid by the Word, Mike talks with Joyce Garzinski, a librarian who teaches journalists how to find the best sources of information and how to determine the quality of the information they uncover. Here's a snippet of their conversation. I always tell my journalism students, make sure you get a public library card. Whatever Mm -hmm. you do, wherever you end up, get a public library card because that will give you access to their databases. And a lot of times they have like directory databases that you can use to go and find businesses, people, all of that great stuff. But also the librarians will be happy to help you if you need assistance with research too. So, you know, make the public library your best friend. Well, hello there, and welcome to Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with professional writers and editors. If you are curious about what goes on in the minds of people who write and edit for a living, this podcast is for you. Thank you, Zoe. When journalists talk about their sources, they're mostly referring to the people they interview for their stories. But sometimes your best sources are buried deep in an old file or stored digitally in some enormous database. That's when you need a skilled librarian to help you find the best information and evaluate its accuracy. My guest in this episode of Paid by the Word is Joyce Garzinski. Joyce is the Assistant University Librarian for Development and Communications at Towson University's Albert S. Cook Library in Maryland. In this role, she teaches journalism students about the processes of research. Prior to becoming a librarian, Joyce was a project coordinator and research assistant at the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. In 2019, Joyce received the Distinguished Education and Behavioral Sciences Librarian Award from the Association of College and Research Libraries for Excellence in Teaching and Service to the Profession. It's my great pleasure to have Joyce on the podcast. Hi, Joyce. Why is it important for journalists to know how to do research? And why is it essential for them to understand the nuts and bolts of researching a topic? It's so very important to approach information with a questioning eye, um, to, to be able to judge whether or not sources are credible. Um, because without that, um, you're, you're really not giving your readers an authentic picture of what's happening uh, related to a topic. That's a really good way of putting it. And uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking that all information is not created equal. Uh, Some is more valid, some is more credible, and you have to be able to sort through it. How did we get to this stage where we, where we sort of lost our, uh, our ability to, to be critical about information? I think we're at a point in history where we're so overloaded with information. Um, We have information coming at us from so many different directions in ways that we, we never did before. Media are everywhere. And so it's really challenging and really hard to figure out what's good information and what's not. And the way that our brains work is that we are programmed in these situations where we're overwhelmed to take shortcuts. You know, every time we see blueberries, we don't stop and think what's going to happen, you know, and we don't examine each little blueberry. Instead, 
we use our past experiences and say, and say, you know, this looks like a blueberry. I've eaten blueberries before, so I'll eat this now. And we just pop it in our mouth. And it's the same way with information, right? When we're overloaded, we tend to want to go to those familiar shortcuts. Um, you know, if we're usual readers of the New York Times, we'll go back to the New York Times and say, I trust them that they're going to give me good information. And so we keep going there without that critical eye. Um, it happens a lot with social media. And so many people get their, their news from social media now that they're not necessarily critically evaluating all the information they come across. Um, it's really time consuming cognitively to do that. So we take shortcuts. Um, we trust the information that comes to us from our friends because they're our friends. And we don't ask those questions. We're all kind of, um, you know, subject to our cognitive biases. And there, there are many of them. And of course, there's that, you know, there, there are two kinds of thinking. There's thinking fast and thinking slow. And uh, if we're challenged by a tiger, then we need to think fast. But for practically everything else, we should take that those extra moments and say, is this information, you know, really the real stuff? Or is it just something that I'm that I'm taking a shortcut to say, yeah, that makes sense. I heard it from a friend or I heard it from, you know, or I heard it, I just heard that or I heard someone else say that, you know, there's so many different kinds of biases. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it really, it biases every part of the information process, right? It biases where we go to find information. It biases, you know, how we evaluate information and even how we use it and who we, we judge to be a good, reliable source. So, yeah, it really can, um, can, can mess up uh, every stage of the information process. Now you're, of course, reminding me of uh, when I was a reporter, and I should say a lazy reporter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you would tend to go to the same sources uh, over and over again until an editor finally said, I think you've worn this one out, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's a really good, that's something I wish when I was an editor that I'd been able to explain kind of, you know, the science behind why you need to be aware of those biases and and fight against them and and why you do need to bring a critical eye to the information that you collect because that's another kind of bias is like well i've done all this i've made all this effort to collect this information it must be worth something maybe not that's true absolutely true yeah joyce in your role you work directly with journalism students based on your experience did they understand why research matters and do they have the capabilities for doing the kinds of basic research that most journalism projects require if i've done my job as a librarian well then they do so i you know i put a lot of this on me um but you know it's interesting uh i see journalism students throughout the the program at towson university so I have students who come to me in the, their very first journalism course um, where they're just learning how to write. And I have this exercise that I go through with students where I start to get them to challenge some of their assumptions. So for example, a lot of students come to me with this assumption that dot-com websites are bad, dot-org and dot-gov websites are good. 
And, you know, I should only use .org and .gov. And uh, I tell them, you know, you can't evaluate the credibility of a source just based on the URL. There are lots of .coms out there that are really good sources. You know, most newspapers uh, out there are .com websites. And there are a lot of .orgs and .govs that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole because they're so biased and have this just terribly biased perspective. And so what I do is I get them to think beyond the URL and to really ask the question of who created the information and what do they have to gain if I, the reader, believe what they're telling me. And so uh, I also really tell journalism students that as journalists, you have this added burden because you are only as good as the sources you cite uh, as a journalist. Readers will look to you, viewers will look to you and say, because that reporter cited that source, I believe that source. And your credibility is on the line based on who you cite. So you have that added burden um, for your sources. And a lot of times this session is very jarring for students. You know, they their worldview is rocked. You know, all the assumptions that they had going in, they don't work anymore. And I see them a couple more times across their career. And then I, I have to tell you, the capstone class where I get to see their final projects, I tear up at the end of it because they're so good. Mm. <laughs> These students have come such a long way. They're citing really credible sources. They have a variety of points of view. They're clearly recognizing the bias that comes with certain sources. It's a beautiful thing to behold. Um, I, I, It's one of the the key joys of my job is to get to see this progression over time. So if I've done my job well, then uh, the students that I've taught come to, to realize how to find, evaluate, and use uh, sources. Wow, that's really great. And uh, I love also how you, um, you know, you introduced this idea of responsibility, because you're, you're completely correct. When you, this is something you learn early in your career that when you quote somebody or you put them on camera, you are elevating them and basically you're giving them your imprimatur. You, you know, you're saying this person is worth listening to. Absolutely. And that that's a responsibility in itself. It's not it's not just a completely passive act where you're just kind of like you know. And now here's what this person thinks. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, and that's something that also again. Um, I remember the first time that I had to explain that to someone as an editor, when I, when I was saying, you know, not all of your sources, just, yes, I know we need to have multiple sources for all these stories, uh, but just because you interviewed seven people doesn't mean that all seven people have to go into the article. Because I happen to know that one of these people is a habitual liar and is trying to manipulate you. So we don't need to include him in this story. You, six sources is fine. <laughs> Three sources is fine. Um, so, Joyce, what are your favorite kinds of research projects and what, what really excites and thrills you about being a librarian? I really like those projects where I get to learn something by the process of doing research. Uh, I had a faculty member who asked me one time um, if I could help her figure out 
how long it took to get by train from Baltimore to New York City in the late 1800s. I don't know why she needed this information, but she needed it. And so I really started to dig into uh, historic newspapers, the historic Baltimore Sun, and try and figure out, you know, what what did this look like? I looked at ads um, for trains to, to help figure out what they, you know, how long it took. And I figured out that it all depended on what class you were in. If you had a lot of money, you could afford to travel by uh, a really quick method. And by really quick, it took a few hours. Um, But if you were poor, you couldn't afford that. So it took a really long time. Uh, In fact, you'd often travel overnight. So, you know, I learned something from this that I didn't know. uh, And that really excites me. I also really like to see the results of my work. Uh, One of the most rewarding jobs I ever had was I was an intern um, at CNN when I was in library school. Uh, I, I interned in their library. And it was so great to, in the morning, help a reporter with some facts for a story and then see it at 6 p.m. on Mm -hmm. CNN. Uh, And so, you know, to feel like I was contributing in that way was just incredibly thrilling. So, you know, I always, I'm someone who likes to learn along the way and Mm -hmm. those projects where I can help others with the information that I find and also learn something myself along the way is, is what I really love. So, Joyce, who are your role models? Uh, Who inspires you and who do you learn from? Before I became a librarian, I worked at the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. uh, And I worked for a woman named Kathleen Hall Jameson, if you're familiar with her. Um, She's very well known in political communication circles and uh, overseas factcheck.org. And she is just an incredible uh, researcher. Uh, she's very good at communicating with facts and with with science. And she really inspired me to be a better writer. She was so incredibly um, concise with how she wrote. Uh, with She's incredibly concise with how she writes. Really good communicator. And so I learned from her. I learned by watching her. And she was you know, critical of my work and really got me to be a better writer. I'm, I'm forever indebted to her. She gave me my first job and she helped mold me in t- to be a better communicator. So I, I really admire her. So Joyce, what advice do you have for young people who are interested in, being, uh, in becoming journalists researchers or librarians, uh, you know, or, or just becoming more better and more credible communicators? What I think is really interesting is that journalism and librarians were linked in a lot of ways. Uh, essentially, the obituary for both of our professions has been written, right? We have been written off. Uh, essentially, there's this view that Um, In this information ecosystem that we're in, our professions aren't needed. And I like to tell students that is so untrue. We need journalists. We need researchers. 
we need librarians now more than ever. And so, you know, even if you're hearing from the outside that these are dying professions, you shouldn't go into these professions, that is completely false. The world needs us. They need us to help, uh, help them make sense of what's happening out there in the world. They need us to help them find the information that they need. And so if you have an interest, if you have a talent, if you have a passion, pursue it because the world needs you now more than ever. That's really great. So reports of our demise have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, which resources should every journalist know about? You know, if you, if you had, if you only had 30 seconds to, uh, to tell me, you know, something really important that I needed to know for my next story, what, what resources should be the first ones I go to? I think it's not a matter of which resources, but you need to know who creates the information in order to find it. Hmm. So you have to know about the ecosystem surrounding the information in order to to locate it and view it and think about, you know, what are the motives for creating that information in order to evaluate your need for it. So really understanding that larger information architecture, how it's organized, how it's built and why, that is the key to being a really good researcher. I'm so glad also that you just used the word motivation because there is, a, we have to remember that the information is not just sitting there. It's not an inert substance. It's something that's created by human beings for a purpose. And sometimes those purposes are good and sometimes they're nefarious. Uh, and, and you have to be able to sort through that. Um, you have to be able to feel the passion on the other side, whether it's good passion or bad passion, you know, because um, the, yeah, the data is not just sitting there. It, it actually represents real stuff that happened in the real world. And also, too, what's interesting is the lack of information. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I have been approached by researchers who, you know, why can't I find this information? And it's really telling what isn't there. Because a lot of times it may be that um, governments haven't invested the money to collect the information because they don't view it as important. Um, we've seen this with things like uh, maternal mortality rates and things like that, how that information has been, has been or has not been collected. So really information, the presence of information or the lack of information is extraordinarily, extraordinarily telling in terms of how information is created and how it's organized and how it's available. An example of that would be the Tulsa race massacre of 1921, a horrible atrocity that wiped out Tulsa's Greenwood district, which was known as Black Wall Street. Despite the horror of that event and despite the murder of 300 innocent people, the massacre was covered up and became a blank spot in American history. Eventually, the facts of the massacre were rediscovered and that blank spot was filled in. But resurrecting the story and restoring the truth required genuine research skills, precisely the kinds of skills that librarians can teach you. Yeah, I think it's really a shame that so many news outlets have dropped their libraries. Oh, um, yeah. And librarians aren't a sad. part. 
yeah. aren't a part of news organizations anymore because, you know, they are such, we are such great collaborators. Um, I always tell my journalism students, make sure you get a public library card. Whatever mm-hmm. you do, wherever you end up, get a public library card because that will give you access to their databases. And a lot of times they have like directory databases that you can use to go and find businesses, people, all of that great stuff. But also the librarians will be happy to help you if you need assistance with research too. So, you know, make the public library your best friend. That is great. And that's that's fabulous advice. I'm so happy that you, uh, I'm so happy that we ended on that note. The choice has been terrific. I really, really appreciate your time and I appreciate your energy and your enthusiasm. Keep up the good work. And, uh, and, and for all of us journalists, I want to thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. That was my conversation with Joyce Garzinski, the Assistant University Librarian for Development and Communications at Towson University's Albert S. Cook Library in Maryland. I enjoyed chatting with Joyce, and I admire the role she plays in teaching journalism students how to find information and evaluate its quality. At a time like now, when we are bombarded with information from all sides, the ability to work with information and to recognize the difference between good information and bad information is of absolutely critical importance. That wraps up another episode of Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with writers, editors, and media professionals. We are grateful for your attention and we wish you all the very best. Stay safe and be well. Bye-bye.